All right, good morning, and uh, happy new year. 2021 has arrived. How many of you were brave enough to stay up late and watch the uh, laser light show that Seattle put on for everybody? It's kind of the response I get when I ask people about it as well. Kind of, oh yeah, we were there, we did that too. Uh, It was great. I missed you guys last week. We were in Montana last week and enjoyed a week with family out there. We were expecting a white Christmas. We did not get a white Christmas, but... Uh, that's okay. We enjoyed time with family. Uh, missed being here. Dave, thank you for preaching the word uh, to us last week and uh, to Reagan, uh, the Wells, for him leading us in worship. So I heard it was a, a great week together with the church family. So I, I missed out on that uh, entirely. It's nice to see the, the Parsons taking up the entire row right there, all nine together with their adopted son Jonah as well on the end. Uh, there. Uh, really, it's so good to see. I feel like I've been gone for like a month, and it's only been one Sunday, but it feels like forever, and it's so good to see your faces. Uh, there's a mask on it, but I can still see your eyes and your hair at least, uh, uh, but um, it is 2021. It is a new year, uh, and we get to start a new book, a new study together, and that is going to be out of the book of Titus, and I'll give you five minutes to find the book of Titus. Just kidding. I'll use some time to find the book of Titus. I want to encourage you to put your, uh, if you have your Bible in front of you, put your little ribbon there to, to mark it off because we're going we're gonna to drop an anchor into the book of Titus. We're going to rest in Titus for a while. 2021, it's going to be a long year, man, and we, we just need to spend a lot of time in Titus together. So let's just get comfortable there and enjoy the book of Titus together. Uh, Titus is my favorite book of the Bible. I get pumped to talk about the book of, of Titus Because in the book of Titus, my favorite passage of Scripture is in Titus. It's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. And uh, I just want to share and open up God's Word. I want to point you to Jesus. I want you to see the glory of God in Titus. And it's going to be a great study together, and I'm super excited to walk you through uh, this book. Uh, Before we do any of that, though, I just want to commit our time to prayer when it comes to this study Uh, for your own heart, uh, to engage the book. I want to just pray that you will be blessed by it and that your heart will be eager to to study it and to learn it as well. As we know that preaching and listening is a two-way street uh, that comes with this. I just want to just pray for you in the receiving of uh, this book uh, together as a whole, no matter how long it takes us, uh, if we're in it for two months or, or four months or six months or the entire year. Uh, I just want to just ask for the Lord's blessing upon us. So let me just pray for us in our, in our time of study in Titus, and then I'll give you an introduction to uh, this wonderful book. Our Heavenly Father, we do just want to quiet our hearts um, in the midst of a, what could be a busy season, a busy time for us, uh, where our thoughts um, might be filled with anxiety, our thoughts may be filled with being overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the day, overwhelmed with the future. And I just want to pray, Lord, that you would quiet our hearts enough to hear from you this morning out of your word. God, we're excited for a new year. We're excited for a new study in the book of Titus. And we want to glean as much truth from it that we possibly, possibly can. But we can't do that apart from your spirit. We need your help. We need your blessing 
We need you to change our hearts. We need you to give us a desire for good works. We need future grace. And that only comes from you. And so we ask, Lord, for your blessing upon our study this morning and our study of the book of Titus throughout the coming weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, to understand this book, we understand who the, the writer of this book is. The writer of the book of Titus is the Apostle Paul. He tells us that in the first sentence. Uh, this book is much like the books of First and Second Timothy. In fact, when Titus was written, he actually sandwiched it between First and Second Timothy. So it was one of the last two books written uh, that Paul ever wrote. Uh, he wrote it um, to Titus, but it was more to the island of Crete, the people in Crete. Uh, these books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, they're known as the pastoral epistles. Uh, three books that were written to encourage both Timothy and Titus surrounding their ministry that they were doing. Timothy was ministering to the, to the church in Ephesus. Titus was ministering to an island called Crete and establishing churches there. Titus is a much smaller book. In fact, my Bible opens up and I can see the entire book on the pages that I have open here. It's just three short chapters. Uh, it's condensed, it's pocket-sized, it's straight to the point. Uh, it's an instruction manual on doctrine. It's an instruction manual on the duty of the church. It's easy to read. It's relatable. It's understandable. It's compressed. Uh, like I said, into these three sh short chapters. But with a closer look, you'll find out, as we will when we study this, that Titus is very rich. It comes with theological depth. It has very much practical insights to it. It's much like a, a Hallmark card that, that when you open it up, it has this kind of this pop-up three-dimensional thing that kind of shoots out at you. That's what's going to happen as we open up Titus, it's going to pop up out and it's going to come alive. I think you'll find in the, the study of Titus that its simplicity is attractive and its brevity is refreshing. But at the same time, theologically and practically, you're going to be challenged. The reason Paul wrote this letter to Titus was out of concern for the churches that he had planted in a, and and built on the island of Crete. You see there in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete. Crete is just a small island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 35 miles uh, in depth. Uh, it is about uh, 130 miles in length. Uh, it's an island there that uh, it says, if you look in verse 12, there's a description of this island and the people on the island. It's a uh, one of Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Not exactly a nice report on what's happening on the island of Crete. And Paul wrote this letter to Titus out of concern for what was happening on the island, a concern for the churches that he helped plant on the island of Crete. Uh, these churches were there, as it says in verse 5, this is why I left you there, that Paul had built up with Titus. He wrote, he wrote this here so that these churches here that are in Crete would be established. They needed a leader. They needed somebody to help this young, immature, 
uh, church, this uh, church that was filled with new believers. They needed, to know, they needed to grow in grace. They needed to grow in knowledge of Jesus Christ. They needed to grow in their understanding of what the church is. They needed to grow in their understanding of the gospel, of the grace of God. And so Paul leaves Titus in Crete on this island to establish the local church, to help them understand their doctrine, to help them understand their mission. And so if we could break down this book, there's three chapters there, as you can see. We could break it down into three parts here. This is the structure and the summary of the three parts of the book of Titus. Number one would be this, the doctrine and duty in the church leadership. The doctrine and duty of the church leadership, as it says in verse 5, one of the duties of Titus was to set in order to establish leadership in the local church. And it says there very, very clearly that he is supposed to put elders in place in these churches. Secondly, the next part, as that would be uh, chapter 1, all of chapter 1 from verse 5 on to verse 16, would be this, the doctrine and duty in the church family. So how is the church family supposed to behave uh, inside the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church? And you have five different categories of people in the church. You have the older men and younger men. You have the older women and younger women. And you have the employees. And that would mean this, that we all find ourselves in at least one of those categories. We can all identify with somebody in chapter 2 to understand our duty within the church as we're part of the church family. Then number three is this, the third section of this book is the doctrine and duty in the church's witness. How is the church to behave outside of these four walls? If you want just three words to summarize the the, the outline of this book, you could say elders, church, and witness. Establish the elders, tell the church how they're to behave, and then tell them what their witness is. As it says in chapter 3, uh, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers, to be obedient for every good work. And he goes on and he keeps talking about how we're to behave outside the church. What is our witness to the world supposed to look like? And all throughout this book of Titus, there's this running theme of both doctrine and duty or belief and behavior. Titus informs your belief, which will then inform your behavior. And so there's this, this kind of back and forth, this seesaw back and forth where Titus gives us new information, old information about the glory and grace of God and of Jesus Christ. And then he balances that out with what you're to do. How are you to act? But first he gives us the doctrine and then the duty, the belief, and then the behavior. Now it's interesting to note and, and worthy of note uh, as we study this book that Titus uh, is not a church planner. Titus is not even a pastor. He's a, a co-laborer of Paul and his duty is to strengthen the church. You got to keep that in mind. His job is to to strengthen the local church in Crete. Uh, this group of people would have been very, very young in their faith. They would have been very immature in their faith, and they would have been small in number. And Paul gives Titus these reminders to e equip him to focus on the church body. He wants them to focus on godly leadership. He wants them to focus on doctrine. Chapter 2 
in verse 1, and he wants them to focus on holy living outside of the church. What Paul does not do, now listen closely, what Paul does not do, he does not concern himself with church growth methods. He does not concern himself with results to the ministry. He's only concerned about uh, the doctrine and the behavior of the people within the church, not the results of the church. Titus doesn't care about church programs, length of service, how or when to meet, or even what you do inside the church, outside of the preaching of God's Word. And his instructions here are very succinct, and they're to the point. They'd have to be. It only fits in three chapters here. But walk through this with me. Let, let your eye gaze on this as we, as we kind of wrap our, rounds around, uh, our arms around this chapter. In verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he is to appoint elders in every town. In chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, he's to confront false teachers. In chapter 2, verse 1, Titus is to teach sound doctrine. In chapter 2, verses 2 to 10, he's to teach the roles of the congregation of both inside their own home and discipleship. In chapter 2, 11 to 15, he teaches on the grace of God and that we're to look forward to the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of God, to be zealous for good works. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, we're to be a witness by our obedience. In chapter 3, verses 4 to 8, we're to understand and be motivated by the salvation of God. In chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, we're to avoid divisive people. And in chapter 3, verses 12 to 15, we're to devote ourselves to good works. The letter is filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God motivating our conduct and our behavior. Because like I said, doctrine always dictates duty. Belief always informs your behavior. And this letter is about ensuring that we understand that, that we get that, that we understand the centrality of the gospel and how it applies to everyday life. The epicenter for the grace of God is to be found in Jesus Christ, and we learn about that in the church, and as we grow in our understanding of God's grace, it manifests itself as a witness to the world. And so Titus is going to challenge us in our own understanding of the grace of God. It's going to challenge us in our understanding of the local church. It's going to challenge our behavior. It's going to challenge what we truly believe. If there's a theme verse, if you guys want... Uh, to kind of bracket in your Bible, a theme verse for Titus, uh, it would be this, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, down to verse 14, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. A right understanding of the grace of God changes everything about you. 
A right understanding about the grace of God changes everything about you. This verse is the linchpin of this entire book. Everything hinges on the grace of God. Everything. It teaches us to say yes to righteousness. It teaches us to say no to sin. It, because of the grace of God, we can look forward to the return of Christ. Because of the grace of God, uh, we, our sins are, have been forgiven. We've been redeemed from all unlawlessness. Once we understand the grace of God, our lives will then be changed. The grace of God is the hinge that the door of Christianity swings on. And this letter as well. So Paul writes this, again, jam-packed letter. Very concise. Very simple, in fact. And he does this to encourage Titus to affirm his purpose, confirm to the people of Crete that Titus was the right man to lead and strengthen the church. So with that, overview. That was just kind of the introduction piece right there, the background piece. Now let's jump in to verses 1 to 4 and let's read it together. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the Ages began, and at the proper time manifest in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of our God, of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, this introduction by, by Paul is unusually long for Paul. Uh, it's one long sentence that he writes as an introduction to Titus. Paul usually opens his letters very, very in a more, much more simple manner. He gives uh, uh, his own name, he gives the recipient's name, and then he, he gives them a, a blessing. It, only Romans and Galatians have a longer introduction than this one to Titus. But this was necessary for Titus, and even more so, it was necessary for the people on Crete that he gives a longer introduction to who Paul is. And I want to explain that a little bit, uh, because when Paul was planting these churches, and when Paul was going around and strengthening these churches, he would spend a lot of time at these churches that the people there knew who Paul was. In fact, he spent a great deal of time in Ephesus. And people in Ephesus, if you wrote a letter to them, they would all know, okay, we know who Paul is, we know his life, we know his background, we know a whole lot about him. They knew him well. This letter to Titus, to set up the local church in Crete, the people of Crete didn't know Paul that well. Sure, he was with him and Titus as they planted the churches, but it was not a significant amount of time there. And so what Paul does here in this introduction is to write out and explain who he is, what he's, he's done, his mission, what he's all about, not for Titus' Titus's sake, but for the people of Crete. In fact, much of this letter was not even written for Titus. It was written for the island of Crete. This would have been a refresher letter for Titus. 
This would have been a reminder to Titus. But this would have been brand new information for the people of Crete, and they would want to know where Paul got or, or where Titus got the authority to set up the local church. Titus is mentioned uh, 13 times in your Bible in the New Testament. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, verses 20, 27 to 30, Paul and Titus were together on, on, uh, uh, with uh, um, or, or Paul and Barnabas and Titus were together in Jerusalem. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, then Titus is mentioned nine times. In Galatians, he's mentioned in chapter 2, verses uh, 1 and 3. He had a very close friendship with Paul. They did ministry together. They were co-laborers together. Titus traveled with Paul to different churches. In fact, it was most likely that it was Titus that delivered 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinthians. If you look in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 13, uh, chapter 7, uh, he's mentioned all over the place. Chapter 8, he's mentioned in there. But Titus had significant ministry to the church in Corinth. He was put, put in charge of teaching the Corinthians that uh, the gathering of their gifts for the believers in Jerusalem. And Titus faithfully ministered there. And Paul was even encouraged by the way Titus was ministering to uh, the people in Corinth that he gave him an even greater responsibility to establish the churches in Crete. And so this information that Titus is receiving here is all things that he has learned before. This is all information he had received before. But this is all new information to the people of Crete. And so Paul gives this lengthy introduction here uh, to, to let the people know that Titus, my dear friend, is commissioned by me to set up these elders and these leaders here on this island. He was establishing authority in Titus to do his job. Well, this would make sense, wouldn't it, if, if you were on the island of Crete and you were together for a, a, a church service or a, a Bible study service and walk, in walks in Titus and he says, hey, I'm going to appoint you as an elder and I'm going to appoint you as an elder and, and older women, you need to behave like this and younger women, you need to behave like this. Wouldn't you want to know where the guy came from? Wouldn't you want to know who gave him the authority to do so? And this is what Paul does. He lets the island of Crete know that Titus is his personal delegate that Paul's apostolic authority was handed down now to Titus. He passes the baton of authority to him so that he has uh, the ability and the credibility to set up the local churches on this island. Now in this greeting here that Paul gives, verses 1 to 4, it's not just an introduction that we can gloss over because it is filled with so much, so much truth. In fact, what Paul does in giving a description of himself, which is really what this is in verses 1, one to 3, essentially, in verse 4 when he says who the letter is to, it's a description of who the Apostle Paul is. But in giving us this description of his life, he's also giving us a pattern of a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. 
This is what a faithful follower of Jesus Christ does. In fact, there's four characteristics in these four verses of a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And in what time we have left, I want to just look at one of them. One of them. And that is this. Number one, four characteristics of a faithful believer. Number one is this. Faithful believers embrace their identity. Faithful believers embrace their identity. Look at the first opening sentence. Not even I can't say sentence because that's the entire four verses. But the opening phrase. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Many of you know this. The apostle Paul was not always named Paul. In fact, he was not always a believer. Uh, he was Saul. Uh, Saul was a Pharisee. Saul hated the church. Uh, it's recorded that Saul would drag Christians out of their homes and he would stone them. Uh, Saul was uh, right there next to Stephen when he was stoned, giving approval to what was happening. We know this, that, that Saul's will was assaulted by God when the Lord Jesus appeared to him and he called him to faith. In that moment of conversion, when Saul became Paul, the calling of God was on his life for salvation, and the identity of Paul changed in that moment. Who he was changed, his life's mission changed, his purpose changed, what he cared about changed, what he lived for changed, what he worked for changed, how he viewed himself, his life. He was now a child of God. In that moment of conversion, he became a servant of God. That word there, uh, servant, is the Greek word for doulos, which a better translation is slave. Paul is describing himself as a slave. A person who, who not only serves a master, but also one who is owned by him. So Paul viewed himself as a slave of God. One who was bought by God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. One who viewed his own life as ransomed by Jesus Christ. He was God's very own possession. He viewed his life of having no rights at all. Imagine that. He was a slave of God. He was a, a servant of God. What Paul could have done in this moment, instead of saying, Paul, a servant of God, as he wants to pass down credibility of who he is, uh, and his role, and he wants to pass the baton to Titus, what, what Paul could have said here is, Paul, a theologian who has been taught under the great rabbi teacher Gamaliel. Paul, the one chosen of God, who's trained many and many men, who has planted many, many churches, a great scholar. He could have described himself as any of those things. He could have pulled out his resume and said, this is Paul, this is who I am, this is what I've done, these are my accomplishments. But, but Paul's fundamental identity was derived from his relationship with God, not his credentials, and not his accomplishments. And he introduces himself in humility and in a place of servitude. John MacArthur says this, Paul was in complete but willing bondage to God. He had no life that he called his own, no will of his own. 
no purpose of his own or plan of his own. All was subject to his Lord. In Romans 1.1, he calls himself a servant of God. In Galatians 1.10, he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1.1, he calls himself a servant of God. And Paul is in this long line of people who embraced their identity as a servant of God. Moses in Joshua 1.2 is called a servant of God. Joshua in Joshua 29.24 is a servant of God. Amos in 3.7, a servant of God. Jeremiah in 7.15 is a servant of God. Isaiah in 42.1, a long line of faithful men who understood their identity was in Christ as a slave of God. I ask you this question. How do you identify yourself? I've, actually, I could find out if I just go log on to Twitter or Instagram. I could find out how you identify yourself. How do you identify yourself? What is your identity? When people ask you, who are you? What are you? How do you describe your identity? Well, I'm a, I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm an athlete. I'm a businessman, a businesswoman. I, I'm a student. I'm a teacher. I'm a musician. I love all things sports. I'm a blogger. I'm just kind of this mixed bag of, of, of anything. What, what describes you? I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a teacher. Well, what is, what is it that, that describes you when, when somebody asks you, hey, tell me about yourself. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's your identity? You write a letter to somebody. You say, Joe, what's the next phrase? How do you identify yourself? I want to tell you something. All those things that you claim is your identity, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But can I tell you this? You are so much more than that. You are so much more than that. Can I tell you who you are in, in Christ Jesus? Can I remind you of what your identity is? That it's in Jesus Christ? In 1 Peter 2.9, you are God's own special possession. You are chosen, handpicked by God who created the universe. You are treasured by God according to Deuteronomy 7.6. You are loved beyond compare according to 1 John 4.19, 4.10, Romans 5.8, Romans 8.35-39. You are worth dying for, according to 1 John 3.16, Romans 5, 7, and 9. You are forgiven, according to Ephesians 1, 7, 1 John 1, 9, Romans 8, 1, 33, and 39. You are a child of God, 1 John 3, 1. You are secured for all eternity, John 10, 28 to 29. You are set free from your sin, according to Romans 6, 18. You are precious to God, Isaiah 43, 4. You are set apart, John 15, 16, and 19. You are His forever. You are so much more than you realize. You are a servant of God. You are His own personal property that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. That's your identity. 
You're a slave to the Most High God. You're not a slave to the gods and the idols of this world. I love what John Piper says, and I, th I think this is super helpful. I don't think I'd give you anything that's not super helpful, but this, this is, I think, is super helpful. Christian selfhood or Christian identity is not defined in terms of who we are in and of ourselves. It's defined in terms of what God does to us and the relationship he creates with us and the destiny he appoints for us. Now catch this part. God made us who we are so we could make known who he is. Our identity is for the sake of making his identity known. You are who you are in Christ Jesus to make God known to the world. That's who you are. At the heart of what it means to be a Christian is to receive this new identity, just like the Apostle Paul did. In Jesus, we do not lose our true selves, but we become our true selves. And it starts with this understanding that you've been bought with a price. Paul understood this. He even says it in verse 14 of chapter 2. He understands that he's been bought with a price. You're not your own. You're so much more. And this is what we need to embrace. Paul is telling us this, that his life is not his own, it's the Lord's. His identity is not about his own aspirations and dreams. It's not about past sins in his life, which he called himself the chief of all sinners. He understood the value that is in Jesus Christ. He's identified as God's own possession, a citizen of heaven, united together with Jesus Christ, no longer seeking the approval of men, no longer seeking the praise of men, you have been fully approved by God, and that's all that matters. And he embraced this identity. In fact, listen, this is what made him so effective. is because he embraced this identity as a slave of God. Not only is he a slave of God, look what's next. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle means one who is sent. He's a messenger of God, commissioned by Jesus Christ, he's a slave, He is a messenger, he's not boasting here, he's simply affirming what Christ has done, calling him to be a messenger of Jesus Christ, and his authority doesn't come from his credentials, his authority doesn't come from his background, his authority doesn't come from his personality, his authority comes from Jesus Christ. There's one verse I want you to look at here, and then I'll give you some, hopefully some practical insight here. Look, at, look in Acts chapter 20. In verse 24. This is, this is a verse that you just want to underline, highlight, memorize, put on your mirror when you, whatever you do in front of the mirror, you just want it there. Brush your teeth. Verse 24. 
I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Man, if we woke up every day and said, man, my worth and my value is in Jesus Christ and I want to finish the calling that Jesus Christ has given to me to declare the grace of God today in my life, would that not change your thinking and your behavior that day? Paul understood his life. Paul understood his mission. To be a faithful believer, you need to embrace your identity and who you are in Jesus Christ. In fact, you could say this, all effective, useful, powerful, fruitful, and spiritual people view themselves as under the rule of God and as submissive servants of God. You want to be effective, you want to be fruitful, you want to be spiritual, you want to be close to God, view yourself, as the Apostle Paul did, as a slave of God, ready to do whatever he wants you to do. And I get it. Sometimes there's days, and we all have these days, where we don't feel valued, right? We don't feel appreciated. We have days where we, we don't feel as though we have any worth at all to anybody, And if we're honest with ourselves, we often feel insecure. And you can't get anything done if you're feeling insecure. And those who hide their insecurity the best often feel it the most. Piper said this, Our insecurity is an invitation from God to escape the danger of false beliefs about who we are and find true peace in who he is. Listen, our worth and our identity is not found in our credentials, our background, our sin. It's not found in any of those things. It's not found in man's approval. Our worth is not tied to this world. Our worth is tied to to Jesus Christ. And when you can embrace that, you'll become so effective for the gospel. And then we take a humble approach. We take a humble approach to our relationships. We take a humble servant attitude approach to our families. We take a humble approach to our jobs, our marriages, our conversations, our relationships. We take a humble approach into our studies. I'm a slave of God. He bought me. He owns me. And therefore, I will serve him by doing my very best. He deserves my best every day. And it's actually not about me. It's all about God within me. And the controlling influence of your life is no longer this world. It's no longer tied to approval. It's no longer tied to worth. It's no longer tied to accomplishments. It's no longer tied to past sins in your life. The controlling influence of your life is now Jesus Christ, and He controls your agenda, your aspirations, everything. 
That's number one. We'll look at the next three characteristics next week together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. In one simple phrase, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, you have pierced our own conscience. You have dug in deep to help us to understand where our true identity lies, who we really are. Lord, help us to embrace our identity in Jesus Christ, that we are simply your servants. We are your possession, our value, our worth, who we are. It's all tied up in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord, help us to think about throughout the day not promoting ourselves, not promoting our own agenda, not promoting our own aspirations, but realizing that we're here on this earth to promote the identity of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He has done. Make our lives more about Christ than about us. And help us to serve You in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ every single day. We need your help, Lord. We ask you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.